東京からお届けする G ポッドインターネットでお聞きいただけます URL は外人ポッドトコム Direct from Tokyo Japan This is the G pod Bringing you the best of Japan Anthony Joe hosts the G pod Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the G Pod. I'm your host, Anthony Joe, and this is G Pod number 26. This is the first G Pod of、uh, 2015, so Happy New Year to everyone. I hope everybody had a nice、uh, break over the New Year's.、Uh, here in Japan, actually, New Year's is a pretty big tradition,、uh, big holiday. I think it's the, probably their biggest, maybe their biggest holiday of the year.、Um, it's kind of strange, actually, in Japan. If you come from like, a country that really celebrates Christmas, it's really strange here because they, they kind of celebrate Christmas, but they don't celebrate Christmas. You'll start to see Christmas decorations go up, but the actual Christmas day, 25th, is just a regular, normal working day. So there's nothing really special about the day. And then the day after, like on the 26th, they take all the decorations down and、uh, start putting up New Year's decorations. So it's kind of a strange feeling because it, it doesn't have the kind of the same、uh, Christmas cheer that I felt back in Canada. There's no kind of Wind down towards the end of the year. It's kind of like just work until the last minute and then boom, January 1st, you take like the day off. I think usually you get like the first or second off and then the following Monday, everyone goes back to work. So it's,、uh, it's a little bit different here than what we did back home. If you are in Japan on New Year's Day and you want to experience some Japanese、um, New Year's traditions, what many Japanese people do is go visit their local shrine or temple and offer a prayer. Um, for the upcoming new year. And the most popular one is the Meiji Jingu、uh, shrine near Harajuku Station. And I went down there last year and、um, put it this way <laughs> if you like standing in line for hours in the cold, that's the place to go. So if you want to go down there uh, and uh, be in the crowd with about half of Tokyo, Go down to Meiji Jingu and、uh, check out that festival. There's, but you know, if you don't like the crowds, there's lots of smaller ones you can go to at temples and shrines all over Japan. So if you're in Japan on New Year's,、uh, definitely go check that out.、Uh, actually, this year I was filming down there uh, for a、uh, video shoot for a client, which we'll release that video in a couple of days. But、uh, what we did was we ended up going down on the second. Because I heard that people actually go the first, second, and third. And obviously, the crowds get thinner、uh, as, you, as you go from the first to the third. So we went down on the second, and it was actually.、Um, It was actually far better. There w a s far less people there. It wasn't as jam packed as it was on the first. And we got to move around. We got some really great video footage. So I'll be posting that soon、uh, on our Facebook page. Anyways, on today's show, I'm going to be talking to model, actress, English teacher Cynthia Popper. Now, if you remember, Cynthia was on the show a long time ago talking about modeling in Japan. And she's written a book about her experience here called The Model Startup. How to break into modeling and acting at home or abroad. And what this book is, we got a lot of questions last time from people asking us questions about how to get into modeling in Japan. So, Cindy has decided to take all those questions that she got and compile them into an ebook that anyone can download. You can get it off of、uh, Amazon right now, actually.、Uh, talking about modeling here, modeling at home, and what you need to do to get into this industry.、Um, what's particularly interesting about this book is. Is the business like approach that she takes to modeling?、Um, she'll, we'll go into this a little bit more detail, but what I kind of find fascinating is that I think a lot of people, when they think of models, you have this kind of image of like a fashion model, right? So you, you got to look really great and 
there's not a lot of business involved in it. You, you, I have got this genetic gift that you're taking advantage of. But what's interesting is actually what Cynthia does is Cynthia has a print model, and now of course Cynthia looks really great. <laughs> um, but print modeling, the requirements for a print model are totally different than a fashion model. Print model are the people that you see like in kind of uh, magazines holding a memory card or holding a telephone or something like that. It, they're looking for more regular life, normal situations. So um, it, it opens the possibility for, for a wider range of people to model. Having said this, if you do want to get into this print modeling business, you have to take the industry seriously. You, you can't just roll up and say like, hey man, look, I did my hair, take my picture. Because, because the range of models that's available is, is much larger, it is way more competitive. So um, the if you do want to get into it, like, like Cynthia will talk about is treat it like a real business and then there are opportunities available for you, both here in Japan and in America. So she's going to go into that a little bit uh, about later on in the show. And we'll also talk about what her life is like here in Japan. Because Cynthia came over as an English teacher, and uh, her experience here in Japan is significantly different than mine. I just showed up kind of randomly, like fresh off the boat. So we'll be talking about kind of her experiences as an English teacher, my experiences coming here just on my own, and then we'll go into a little bit more detail about her book. Now, before we get to Cynthia, I just want to quickly talk about the uh, Gaijin Bot blog. Uh, last year, 2014, was the full, full year that we had the blog online. We launched it in late 2013, but it didn't really get going until 2014. So it was kind of interesting to see what a whole year on the blog would look like. And um, I, I, I really like watch, looking at the stats of the blog, actually. I'm kind of a, a numbers geek, so I like seeing which articles do well and, and what parts of the world certain articles connect with and certain articles I don't. So uh, I thought I'd share with you some of the kind of the unique numbers that I've seen on the blog uh, last year. Um, the first one is that uh, we had over a million and a half unique visitors to the blog in 2014, which is great. That's over 100,000 unique visitors every single month uh, to the blog. Um, majority of the users came from Asia. 53% came from Asia. 25% came from the Americas. And 15% came from Europe. So a lot of interest from within Asian countries about what's going on in Japan. I think a lot of this has to do with the relaxation of visa law, uh, tourist visas that Japan has recently uh, instituted. So if you come from, uh, what is that? I think it's Vietnam, Thailand, and maybe Indonesia, maybe Malaysia. Before you needed a visa, now you don't need a visa, so you can just get one at, at the. You get a stamp at the airport, uh, which obviously has made things a lot easier for people from those countries to come to Japan. So a really big boost in interest uh, amongst Asian countries uh, to our blog for information about Japan. Um, 53% women, 46% men, which is also another interesting stat because for a long time, Gaijinpot was known as kind of a. It was primarily. Uh, used by males I think especially when our forum was online the, the bulk of the traffic was from men but uh, it's interesting to see that the women have taken over and we have 53% female uh, audience now and 46% male and so I'm hoping that actually a lot of the articles that uh, we, we put online kind of cover this wide range of demographic that we've got uh, I try to always find different writers to, to connect with different different uh, members of our audience so I'm really hoping that uh, 
everyone kind of feels like there's something for them on the blog. Another big shift that we've seen to Gaijin Pod in the last year or so is the shift away from、uh, desktop browsing to mobile browsing. If we look at the stats to the blog, 52% of our users are on mobile, whereas only 38% are on desktop and 9% on tablet. So, this is a big change that we've seen in the last couple of years where we have more users on mobile than we do on desktop. And you'll see more and more of the Gaijinpod site will become mobile friendly.、Um, it, obviously, Gaijinpod is a huge site. It's not like we can ship the whole thing over right away as much as we would like to. But、uh, this year, we'll do the job section to make that mobile friendly. The blog is, of course, mobile friendly. The top page is mobile friendly.、Uh, the study section is mobile friendly. So, we're slowly working the whole site to be a mobile friendly site. Considering the bulk of our users are on their phone. So, in the future, you'll be able to access every part of Gaijinpot on your phone、uh, in a mobile friendly、uh, page, which is really great.、Um, another interesting stat is that if you take a look at the mobile users, Apple really dominates. 62% of our users are using an Apple device, 18% are using a Samsung device, and just 2% are using an LG device.、Um, so, it's interesting to see that even though The Android user base is massive. For our site, still Apple dominates with over 60% of our users. And it also re- is reflected in the、uh, browser use as well. We have Chrome is 37%, Safari is 11%, Firefox is 9%, and Internet Explorer, thank God, is like 2%. <laughs> our developers are really happy with that. Um, so, an interesting, interesting look at kind of、uh, who our users are and where they come from and the technology that they use、um, to browse our site. And the last thing I want to mention about the Gaijinpod blog is our actual writers. We have about 25 different writers now on Gaijinpod, and、uh, they've done a really great job of, I think, bringing a lot of interesting articles to the site in the last year. And、uh, like I said, I always try to find writers that have some kind of unique perspective. And one that I feel like they can, they can connect with a certain demographic within our user base. And I really tried hard this year to create a, a diverse group that I think a lot of people will relate to. So,、uh, really great job to all of our bloggers. I've created a special page where you can see who all the bloggers are. So, if you go to the blog,、uh, I'll post the link actually in the show notes of this episode of the G Pod, but it's called Gaijin Pod Bloggers. And you can read a little bit about who they are. And some of their top articles. So, if you're interested in seeing who all these writers are,、uh, go check out that page.、Um, and having said that, we are looking for more writers. I'm looking for、uh, two types of writers specifically. I'm looking for people who can write about Japanese language. And what I mean by this is, we have a study section that's、uh, severely lacking in content. So, we need someone who has a very high level of understanding of the Japanese language. Who can write content for this section?、Uh, in the past, when I've posted this request on our Facebook page, I've got a lot of people who say that they're studying Japanese and they're happy to write about that experience, but that's not what I'm looking for here. I'm not looking for someone who's studying it, I'm looking for someone who's mastered it.、Um, so, if you have a very high level of Japanese understanding and you're willing to write about it and write lessons and write about how to use the language in Japan,、uh, contact me. Uh, the second person that we're looking for is a writer to cover the Japanese real estate market.、Uh, as you know, I recently started, took over the、uh, marketing role for Real Estate Japan. And so I'm looking for writers who can cover real estate market here in Japan, talking about investing,、um, buying property, renting property, etc. So, if you, for this person, it'd be great if you have some experience working in real estate here in Japan. It'd be great if you had、uh, a Japanese ability. 
Um, if you are that person, please contact me. You can email me at blog at gaijinbot.com. And I love to add、uh, both of you guys to the team. So if you can write either language or real estate,、uh, definitely contact me. Okay, so on today's show, I'm talking with author, model, Jewel Thief and English teacher <laughs> Cynthia Bobber, <laughs> who recently released an ebook titled The Model Startup How to Break into Modeling and Acting at Home or Abroad. And she joins us today to talk about her life in Japan and the release of her new book. Hey, Cynthia, welcome to the G Pod. Hey, Anthony, thank you for having me back. Before we get into your book, can you give our audience maybe a quick background on yourself? For those who didn't listen to the first show, tell us a little bit about. Who you are and why you came to Japan. Yeah, sure.、Um, let's see.、Um, I'm a writer and an actor and a print model.、Um, and I'm from San Francisco. And I've been doing this, all of these types of work for about, about nine years now. And I moved to Japan two years ago、um, and have been doing basically the th- same things I did in California, I'm doing here. Um, but, you know, very different experience working in Japan versus working in the US. So,、uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. Did you, had you been to Japan before you came here? Yeah, yeah. I, I came to Japan a long time ago.、Um, I, I was, how old was I? 19. And it was my first big international trip. And I, I had a friend who lived here. And I came to visit and was just blown away. I just I fell in love with Japan and I fell in love with international travel. And I pretty much haven't stopped traveling since. But as far as living, I knew I wanted to live in Japan. So, right. Okay. Okay. And then one thing I'm curious about is before you came here, what kind of research did you do about coming to Japan? Oh, man. I'm so type A when it comes <laughs> to stuff like that. I did so much research. Um, I was looking at the YouTube vloggers. I was looking at, there were a few expat blogs I was looking at.、Um, all of any website that I could find、um, talking about、uh, just life in Japan, etiquette for expats,、um, apartments,、um, getting work as an actor. Um, anything I could find. I, I was just, for, for a, a good year, I just compiled. I just bookmarked and, and, and clipped and just did as much research as I could.、Um, and even after doing all of that work, and, you know, I, was, I was as prepared as, as one could be, I think.、Um, it's still, I mean, as you know, it's a pretty big culture shock.、Um, so. So, yeah, I did quite a bit of research, but it was, all, it was all online. Yeah, I remember one of the articles you wrote for Gaijinpot. You actually had an Excel sheet of the clothes that you were going to bring. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man.、I'm, you know, I have an academic background. You know, my degrees are in English, and I was originally going to become an English professor.、Um, and、uh, I, I kind of veered off that and went into writing. But yeah, I just have a really, I, I definitely have an analytical side to me. So yeah, I actually made, and that's just like one of like, Three spreadsheets. I didn't show you the other ones. <laughs> That was just the packing list. And it just helped me. I, I like working in framework.、Um, I need like deadlines for things. And I like having a framework to contain sort of the chaos.、Right. Um, so moving your life 
you know, 5,500 miles away. I needed something that kept me from overpacking. And I still overpacked. I mean, that list, even though I, w- I was like, oh, I'm going to be minimal. It's only going to be 100 things and it's itemized thusly. Um, I, it was still way too much. Right, right. Um, so. And now you came to Japan through ECC, right? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, ECC um, is one of the, the big the big the big four, the big five Aikawas here. And um, it's, they, they made the process of coming over. And a lot of people ask me this. Actually, I just got a question. A reader asked me just the other day, you know, how did you get your visa? What was the process? How did you get your apartment and your bank account? And how did you get set up? Like when you first got off the plane, how did you do it all? And the, the answer is, is I didn't. I didn't do it. ECC did almost everything for me. Right. Um, so, um, if you're willing to, um, be a teacher, I mean, I, I teach now I teach part time, um, but you kind of got to pay your, your dues. If you can't get a, a visa through some other means, most people do get a teaching. It's not even a teaching visa. It's a, a humanity specialist visa, um, and teach on an, for an Aikawa right. and you know, the, the, the pay is not great and, um, the lessons are quite repetitive, um, but at the same time, they, they do a lot for you. So it's a, it's an easy way to go. Yeah. I think a lot of people misunderstand it or kind of, um, don't really appreciate how convenient it is when you have a company like ECC who sets you up here in Japan. Yeah. You know, and it's funny cause you can read, you can read blogs and you can read forums and you hear people just rip on these schools. Right. They just rip on them. They're like, Oh, they're like McDonald's for English and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, put all that aside, put away, put aside your personal opinions. What is your objective? Your objective is to come to Japan and to work legally. Guess what? ECC is going to give you a humanities visa. If, if you get hired by them, they'll give you a humanities visa. They'll help you with an apartment. They'll help you set up your bank account. You will have income to pay the rent for that apartment. They help you with your insurance, everything. Yeah. Like it takes out all the guesswork. Do you have, and the reason I chose ECC, and this is a question I get a lot, is ECC, um, it's, the, it's the fewest amount of hours and they give you the most vacation. They give you like two months off. No kidding. Wow, um, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, paid. If you're a full-time employee, you get basically seven weeks paid vacation. Wow. Um, and that's just unheard of. So for me, because teaching was not, uh, that my top priority here, but it was something I needed to do to make a living um, and to get in. Um, it was the perfect, it, it's just been the perfect, uh, the perfect choice for me. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, I did it differently, right? I didn't come here um, through any company. I just moved here on my own. <laughs> yeah. Like how did you like, like on the flip side, like I took the easy way. Yeah. You took pretty much the hardest. I the exact way. opposite. <laughs> so, like, how did you do it? Like, how did you set up your bank account? How did you find an apartment? Finding an apartment as a foreigner is so hard here. Yeah, finding an apartment was really hard. And the thing is, I had a um, little bit of luck and a lot of kind of guessing in that <laughs> um, what happened with the apartment was because I, I'd moved here just from Thailand, right? And I was living in Thailand right. before. I mean, in Thailand, you can get an apartment within five minutes. You just walk in. I like it. Great. Give the guy a first month's rent, give you the key, done. So awesome. I didn't actually do a lot of research about Japan at all uh, when I decided to move here. Um, 
I just kind of thought, oh, I'll wing it. <laughs> and, you know, winging it in Japan really do not go well in the same sentence because they、It's、just、totally、they just don't、true. do that here at all. So、yeah. I booked a hotel, and I I got a really good deal on a hotel and a flight and a package. You know, so like there's nine 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 nights at the hotel. I thought、ah, I should be plenty of time to find an apartment. So <laughs> first couple of days, my girlfriend and I doing some sightseeing. You know, oh my god. <laughs> So we got like about five days left at our hotel, and we go to、um, we we're looking for apartments on Craigslist because that's always where I kind of look for apartments. Right back、for、home is Craigslist,、nice. and yeah. Bangkok is Craigslist. So we look on Craigslist, found a couple of Japanese places, go there, and talk to them. And the first question they ask you is, "What's your job?" Well, actually, no, no. The first question they ask is, "What do you have a telephone? Telephone like Ktai?" I said no. I don't have. I don't have a phone yet. I mean, who am I going to phone here? I don't have a number, and that freaked him out. Like, what? How come you don't have a phone? And then they like, do you have a job? I said no. I'll, I'll find a job later. And like, <laughs> they just like they look at me like I'm speaking Swahili or something because they just don't get it at all. Right. And they're like, well, okay. Well, do you know it takes like you know ten days or so to process all the paperwork for your apartment? Yeah.、And、I was like, what? I have to be out of my hotel in like five days, and there was a long, long weekend in the middle of that. Oh, so like three days is like gone. Oh no! So suddenly my girlfriend and I are like, are we seriously going to be homeless in Tokyo like in a week? Yes, for sure. <laughs> she, she's freaking out a little bit, and then but the, but the thing I kind of found is that、um, Japanese people they're like these companies are. Certain companies are very accommodating. Put it that way,、mm. right?、Mm. You just gotta find、yeah. them, and finding them is hard. If you go to like a hardcore Japanese company, you don't have paperwork ready, you don't have a job, you don't have a phone. Like, forget about it. Like,、yeah. you know, they're just gonna turn you away. But、yeah. uh, I find managed to find some some gaijin friendly companies who understood my situation, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, you don't have a job, but tell you what, instead of the normal one month's rent deposit, we're gonna charge you two months' rent deposit." And I'm like, no problem. I mean,、yeah. easy. And they said, yeah. yeah, you can move in like within the week or so. So I managed I to kind of luck、man. out that way. And the other way I kind of managed to luck out was because that my girlfriend was studying Japanese here. The easiest visa for her to get was a student visa. So、uh-huh. she was going to school every day while I was looking for work. Got and it. And every time some kind of piece of mail or something would come to our house. She would take it to school and ask her teachers what it meant. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so they would tell us, "Okay, this is a bill, or this is this, or this is this." And then they even wrote some stuff down for us when we were trying to go open a bank account. We had to try like two or three different banks. They turned us away, and the、oh、teachers like wrote wrote on a piece of paper like what we had to try to say. We just go to the bank and we just show it to them. And I mean, if it wasn't for her school, we would have been in a lot of trouble. But, wow.、Uh, <laughs> so, so for me, the 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 the, the this, for me the the school that I t- I teach for was sort of my support system.、Right. For you guys, it was your girlfriend's school、right. sort of offered that same. And I think for anybody coming to Japan, you need to find some kind of support system、oh, because God, it's、so、with, without it, you're it's almost impossible. Like in, yeah, in, I think yeah, in, you know, absolutely. I've lived in Germany, I've lived in Thailand, and for there, both those countries are fairly easy for me to get established on my own. But here, there's so many rules that you don't know about, so many regulations that you can't overcome. Um, for example, like when I tried to get my phone, they wouldn't give me a phone because first I didn't have a I didn't have a two year visa. 
mm-hmm. I only had a tourist visa. So they wouldn't give me the phone for that. Right. And then so my girlfriend, she had a two-year student visa, so they gave her the phone. And, but then they wouldn't give it to us because we didn't have an address yet. We didn't have it at home. We were just staying in the hotel. Right. And But the, the apartment wouldn't give us an apartment because we didn't have a phone. Oh, my so God. So we're like going back and forth. <laughs> you, know, like, so you can't get a phone because you don't have an apartment. You can't get an apartment because you don't have a phone. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So... And so you think about it, like if you're coming from America or something, you don't you don't know this stuff. And, and my no. experience in America is like, in Canada, it's kind of the same way. Is like as a consumer, you have unlimited options available to you. Oh yeah. Right. If you if you go to AT and T, they don't want to give you a phone. Go walk across the street. Go to Verizon. You know, go to Sprint. Yep. Go whatever. Like this yep. department says no, no problem. Go down the street, find another one. But I find here in Japan, it's like there's this kind of blanket rules that cover everything, and where you can just be totally shut out. You know, yeah. like the phone thing, like without the visa, you know, SoftBank wouldn't give me a phone. Uh, Docomo wouldn't give me a phone and uh, AU wouldn't give me a phone. Oh, my God. And they're just, they're just like, nope. And here's the wall that you hit and you're screwed. That's so crazy. So if you're coming from, say, America, where we're used to kind of this more flexibility as a consumer, that kind of restriction is can be very surprising. So you need to have some kind of um, support system here to help you get through that. Definitely. And I think like, like you said, like people rip on these language schools, but they really are such a huge benefit for anybody who wants to come to Japan. Yeah, it, it really, it, they just make the process so much smoother because I mean, it's, it's bumpy. Yeah. The first few yeah. months are bumpy. You're trying to get used to like, you don't even know how to walk. I mean, yeah. it's just weird. You know, the culture shock I, that was you know, looking back, that's probably the the thing that I underestimated the most was how different my life would be. In what way? Um, just how you interact with people, how you um, how you go, you know, go to work, um, commuting, um, walking in Tokyo. I mean, I still can't walk in Tokyo <laughs> after two years. It's just it's it's crowded. It's frenetic. It's sort of this assault on your senses in any town, any ward you go to. It's like you pop out of the station and it's just like Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. It's like lights and sounds and noises and people. Right. And it's 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 crazy. And, um, so you're dealing with that. You're dealing with the fact that if you don't speak Japanese, you can't read anything. You don't understand anything. You're told you're a million miles away from family and friends. Just everything is new. And, and it can, it can overwhelm you a little bit that, that first, I would say that first three months are pretty, at least for me, they were pretty intense. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I first found that kind of shocked me when I actually started living in foreign countries was the language barrier. I mean, yeah. it's something I didn't even, I didn't even think about it back home. Of course not, right? Right. But when I first moved to Thailand, and everyone told me like, oh, don't worry, they'll speak English in Thailand. But what I didn't realize was my friends telling me that what they actually meant was everyone at their hotel that they stayed at spoke English. Right. But the neighborhood I was living at, no one spoke English. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. and the same thing when I came to Japan. I, a lot totally. of people say, "Oh, there's so much more English in Tokyo now." But to me, I don't. I don't really see it. <laughs> there's, you know, what that is the biggest myth about Tokyo, and even Tokyo, I say it. People, locals who live here, they're like, "Oh, Tokyo is such an international city. It's yeah. so diverse." No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
foreigners make up about what two percent of the population yeah i mean yeah so you're looking at the rest of japan rest of japan is like 99 percent japanese tokyo is 98 percent japanese i mean that's literally what people mean when they're talking about how international tokyo is because i don't find it to be international at all i find bangkok way more international than tokyo and so when i came here the language was a big shock, but not not so much that I didn't know I didn't speak, but I, it was a it was weird to be in a situation where I couldn't communicate what I what I needed to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like simple yeah. things back home, are like like even like going to the store wanting to buy some medication or something. I mean, I'm looking at this wall of stuff. I don't know what it is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I went the other day to get for the first time to get eyeglasses. And um, to buy new eyeglasses, which, uh, you know, tip, buying eyeglasses in Japan, they're super cheap. It's a really good place to buy your eyeglasses. Um, But, you know, doing an eye exam in Japanese, it was just like hysterical. (laughs) You know, he's showing me all the hiragana and and it basically was like, okay, no, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of an ABC chart, he gives you a hiragana chart, you know, you're like, dude, that could be an inch from me and I still don't know what it is. (laughs) You know, well, I mean, I can read the hiragana, but like I have to think about it. And so we just, we just reduced it to, is this okay or not? Yeah. (laughs) And um, they use an auto refractor, they get your base prescription and then they fine tune it with the hiragana chart. Right. And I'm just like, oh God, this is, this is too funny. But he did a great job. They're super cheap. So I was, I was really, really pleased. But just, yeah, something that should take you, you know, 10 minutes or even five minutes takes 30 minutes, yeah. 60 minutes. It just takes longer. Yeah. So, you ha- I mean, number one tip for somebody coming over is just be prepared to be very patient with yourself and with people trying to help you. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. For sure, for sure. Because you'll go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you'll nuts. You know, like because yeah. it's it's I, it's something you never experienced back home, um, and it's such a huge shock. I think when you first come to a different country, because everything's kind of familiar, right? You, yeah. you see cars, you see buildings, you go. There's a drugstore. There's all this yeah. stuff that's kind of familiar, but yet you feel like there's this kind of wall between you and actually doing what you want to do. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. So when you started working, I'm curious, like, what was the work like um, in, say, dealing with your Japanese um, coworkers and your Japanese students? Um, students and coworkers, let's see. Um, well, it's interesting, you know, I feel like my students, I mean, it depends on who we're talking about. I work with kids and I work with adults. I mostly work with adults. Um But, you know, things that, uh, from the adult perspective, things that maybe aren't culturally, uh, politically correct in the United States seem to go by here okay with, without any problem. Um, and I think it's more of just, you know, it's naivete. It's not, you know, somebody trying to be mean or racist or, or whatever, Um, For example, I was giving a a private lesson to a a salary man. He was probably in his 60s. Nice enough guy, very outgoing. Um, And he asked, you know, what's your ethnic background? And he he asked, like, what is your ethnicity? He knew the word ethnicity. And I said, "Um, oh, I'm, I'm Native American and I'm German. And he started singing, Anthony, he started singing Cherokee people by Paul Revere and the Raiders. It's like this 1960s like <laughs> band, which if you pulled that in America, that's like the most racist, like horrible <laughs> moment for anybody. Uh, 
And I was like, oh my God. And then, but then he had like the presence of mind to ask, he's like, is that offensive? <laughs> and I said, well, and it must have been the look on my face. It must have been like, oh my God. Um, but he asked, he, he truly wanted to know, which I thought was kind of cool. And I was just like, yeah, you know, if you're in the United States, there are a lot of people that have Indian, you know, Native American blood. You you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thank you for asking. And, and yeah, don't don't do that again. <laughs> 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 so um, and, you know, I, I work with a couple of my foreign co- co-workers who are black and and I've, I've asked them, you know, is it weird being a black dude here? Like, are, are people do people treat you differently? And they, they both actually said the same thing. They said, it doesn't matter if you're black or you're Chinese or you're Korean or you're Latino. It's, it's Japanese and not Japanese. Yeah, yeah. And so the attitude is going to affect you thusly. And so from a race perspective, it hasn't really been a big deal. I think it's more of just a f- being a foreigner right. and trying to interact with people, you know, Americans and, and North Americans, Canadians too. We, we connect very directly we ask questions and we want answers and we look at you, you know, look you in the eye and we, we you know, we communicate face to face. Japanese staff members tend to like leave notes for you because they don't want to, you know, confront you with something. Um, or, you know, you hear through somebody else that, you know, they need something done. Right. Um, and you just say, well, why just tell me, you know, why wouldn't you just tell me? And so I, I, it's been explained to me by a Japanese friend that it's a shame thing. Like they don't want to embarrass you. They don't want to embarrass themselves. So they communicate indirectly in order to avoid shame. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems really, um, ineffective to me right. it's yeah. a weird way to communicate in right opinion. right whereas we're used to more of a direct approach they kind of like to kind of go beat around the bush so to speak yeah yeah you know i don't i don't really get the beating around the bush thing um and it's so it's probably been a, a big fumble for me um i mean I, I don't think i've egregiously offended anybody or or have have ended up you know causing any massive problems but i think that um you know, asking a school director to talk to me directly, um, you know, that's very difficult to do. They'll, they'll say they'll do it, but then they'll never do it. Right, right. So, um, and again, it's just a matter of, you know, assimilating to the Japanese methods, um, which is tough. And the problem is, and I have a girlfriend, actually, I need to introduce you to this girl. She owns a um, a consulting, a cultural consulting business oh, yeah. where she, she speaks seven languages. She's from Uzbekistan. She's a very, very smart woman. And she works with Japanese companies and she helps them see that the Japanese way isn't always the best way. Right. And, you know, merging ideas, you know, taking some, you know, Western influence and putting that into your business model and communication model is a smart move. Right, right. You know, what's interesting is uh, I wasn't a huge fan of multiculturalism when I was back in Canada. Because for me, and being in Vancouver, multiculturalism basically meant Chinese. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there was no there was no multiculturalism in Vancouver. It was yeah. either you were from China or you were stuck in Vancouver. Um, so yeah. I was never a huge fan of it. But right. being in Japan now, I actually really see the advantage of having a diverse workforce within the company. Like I think this is really one of the big strengths of America. Yeah. So within a big company, say like Facebook, Google, whatever, you need 
to have different mindsets. You need to have people to disagree and 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 come at it from a different point of view. Because if you don't, you get what's going on here, which is just this one kind of train of thought, exactly, and no variation from that at all. Exactly, and business studies have shown, you know, people teams that have diver that are that are, diverse teams solve problems faster. They're more innovative. They're more creative. The results that they, you know, the solutions they provide tend to be more effective. Right. Um, diversity is is absolutely a, a cornerstone of success now. Right. Um, and and to, to compound that with Japan's need for foreign workers right. um, due to the population decline. I mean, just changing the mindset or, or mixing the mindset to include, you know, different influences uh, into the business model. It's just so key. It's so, so key. And they know, you know, most, most companies, most people that I know, um, or that, you know, most of my students that work for Japanese companies, we talk about this and they know that they're fully aware. They just really don't know how to go about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of them, too, they're, they're kind of scared about what the what the result will be. Like, well, sure. like we said, like, you know, there's so much of a hierarchy here and so much concern about how you're perceived by others. Uh, yes. Even so much like your coworkers, like not wanting to confront you by you know, instead of using a note. So. I think the, the one of the biggest fears in this country is if we let these foreigners in, how will that disrupt our perfect little harmony that we have going on here? Yeah, well, and that's the problem is that you can keep things harmonious and never innovate and never progress, right. and you're not keeping up now. And so that's why you're seeing the economic decline in Japan is because they can't keep up because they just keep spitting the same ideas back and forth to each right, other across right. the table, and. Um, this girl that I was just telling you about, her name's Frieza. Frieza was at a, a conference, a diversity conference. This is hysterical. She speaks fluent Japanese, by the way. Right. So she's the only foreigner at the, a diversity conference <laughs> in Japan. It's all men, businessmen, Japanese men, and they're talking about the importance. They 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 know that that there's a huge need and a demand for um, foreign workers, and especially for IT and 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 development and new media. And they're having this conversation, and they all basically come to this consensus that yes, we know we need it, and you know the Olympics and this and that. And so she stands up and she says, "How can you have a conversation?" about diversity with a panel of executives and not a single foreign face on that panel. How, how can you even call this a diversity conference? And everybody started clapping because she's right. Like you can't, you can't, you can say, you can say that you have the best intentions. You can say that you need foreign workers. You can say that they need to have equal rights with Japanese workers. But if you're not going to actually put rubber to the road and make the changes, it's all lip service and it's just not going to happen. And people say, well, change is slow here. Change is slow here. Well, change better speed up pretty soon because six years is going to go by really quick. And when, you know, the world spotlight is on Tokyo, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, interesting for sure because I think like, you know, what Japan has enjoyed so far, I think, is the reputation that they built upon the 80s, right? Because like, you know, I've talked about this. One of the biggest surprises for me when I came here was how outdated a lot of Japanese technology is, you know, oh the God. thinking, the tech and everything. Um, it feels like it feels like the futuristic version that someone made in the 80s, 
Exactly. So they have, but the rest of the world doesn't really know that because they're not here. Exactly. But when the world spotlight is shown on Japan, you have journalists running around everywhere. No one speaks English, and exactly. you know, then there it is going to be interesting to see what they do and you know how they prepare for that, and and what kind of message Japan wants to send to the world at that time. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the government handles this from a, a global PR perspective, right? Um, because as of today. As of today, we're not ready. You know, Tokyo's not ready. Right. Um, right. And so I think having, you know, and I know that a lot of work is going into the the train stations and the infrastructure, and they're really making a push for English and for tour guides. And they really, I, I mean, the again, again, the intention is there. And money is going into some really smart places, I think. I'm not sure. I mean, we're, we still have issues with, you know, up north in Tochigi. So right. it's like, you know, I, I don't even want to get into that political discussion. But but the, the fact remains is that innovation is just really sorely lacking here. And that's a direct result of lack of foreign workers. Right. So, right. yeah, For it'll sure. be interesting, man. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk okay. a little bit about kind of what your personal kind of day-to-day life was like here and I wanted to ask about your last four or five dates that you've gone on. No, oh. just kidding. <laughs> okay. No, actually. I was not expecting that at all. Welcome to Hardball. No, that's no. <laughs> a full breakdown of your love life. Yeah. Um, no, actually, one of the things I did want to discuss was the often heard uh, statement that Japan is really safe for women. Mm. And that you can walk down the street and at night and you don't have to worry about anything. And I myself have actually seen this. I mean, I've gotten off the train late at night near my house and I've seen women walking home, sometimes drunk, you know, kind of stumbling around late at night. Yeah. And I mean, the first time I saw that, it just absolutely blew me away because you would never, ever see that back home in, in my Dude, city. I yeah. Mean, if I saw Not that, alone. I'd be shocked and I would be like, how soon before this woman gets robbed or attacked? Right. So in your experience being here, what what was kind of your personal uh, experiences like living in Japan as a single woman? Um, it's been, it's interesting. There are certain, certain areas I feel really safe in and certain areas I don't feel really safe. Um, when I first moved to Japan, um, I didn't live in Tokyo. I lived in Chiba. Uh, for the first few months. Um, and I was way out. I had a really, I had a great apartment. It was really cheap, but it was, it was just out in the middle of nowhere. It was like a 15 minute walk to the station. So, and sometimes I would have to, you know, work quite late. And so I'd walk home at, you know, 1030 at night, um, by myself in the dark and, you know, in this kind of quasi rural area of Matsudo. And, um, so I, I was walking home one day, one night and something just told me to look behind me. Just sometimes, you know, women have like a sixth sense, like that danger twinge that, that kind of hits you when something's up. Something told me to look behind me and a guy was following me. He was just a little too close and he wasn't like some, you know, dapper looking, suited, good looking Japanese guy. This was like a disheveled, kind of pudgy, like slovenly looking dude. 
And I was like, oh God, like this is, this is not good. And there's like no street lights. It's dark. There's nobody on the street. And I'm like, oh God, you know, what do I do? So there's a family mart, you know, up the street. So I walk into the family mart. Guy walks by. Long story short, I leave the family mart. He's, he's waiting for me. He's trying to follow me home. And I go back to the family mart. The manager, the manager of family mart uh, was really sweet. He actually ended up walking me home. But long story short, there's just areas where guys, they, they try to, uh, I don't want to say prey upon, but they, they definitely are looking for foreign girls. And you have to be careful. You just have to be really careful. They want to follow you home. They want to try and steal your clothes. Sometimes I know one girl whose apartment got broken into and the guy was like, the, the police came and did a fingerprint dusting and the guy was like trying on her shoes and her clothing and stuff. Like it's, I mean, there's some weird stuff going on. So um, after that happened, I definitely had a sense of, uh, you know, I need to be careful. Um, and I never felt like this guy was going to like kill me or like, like attack me, but he really wanted to know where I lived. And the same goes for private students. You have to be really careful with your private students. Sometimes private students treat your lessons like dating. Right. Um, and it's kind of a similar situation. If you, if you feel that, that, that sixth sense, that red flag pop up, you really need to listen to it. You need to, to terminate the lesson um, and just end contact with, with that student. Um, it's pretty important or mention that you have a boyfriend or something. If you're not, I don't like lying like that. I don't, I, I don't feel comfortable lying like that. But, um, if you have like a, a creeper situation, you really have to nip it in the bud quickly. Um, you just don't want to afford to be nice or to be overly accommodating. Um, because you know, I mean, we've heard the horror stories. It's right. not, it's not good. And I think actually in Japan of all places, many of these guys are, I think they're they're kind of more borderline, like they're more creepy yeah. than violent, right? Yeah, so if you actually confront new... them, chances yeah. are they'll freak out and they won't bother you again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. They just, you know, they're trying to like maybe they just want to keep an eye on you or they want to try and steal your laundry or, or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it, they're more of a nuisance than a threat. Right. I think that's really, really true. Right. I actually saw one time I was on the train. I'm sure everybody who's lived here a while has seen this, but it was really shocking. It was late one night. It was, I was on the Yamanote, you know, Saturday night, Yamanote, 1130 PM. It's like a party scene. Right. And, um, there was, uh, there was a schoolgirl. She was with her friends. She was probably about 14 or 15. And I saw a drunk dude grab her ass. Oh, and yeah. she just kind of swatted his hand away. She didn't even think about it. She didn't look at him. She didn't even get scared. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I was totally appalled. I was, like, following the guy in the station. I was like, you <laughs> bastard, you know. I was, I was, like, completely outraged. She was like, nah, whatever. you know, who cares, whatever. He's just drunk, dumb dude. Right. You know. And so I think that that's kind of the attitude that's been adopted is, is to be wary and to be prepared, but don't overreact. Um, yeah, so. you know, actually, I saw a really interesting thing actually this summer that kind of really made me think about how we react to situations in the States versus Japan. And what I did was I was standing at the crosswalk and there was this dude beside me who was a little bit kind of weird. It was kind of fidgeting around, and there was a, a lady beside him who was on her phone, texting uh -huh. on her on her iPhone, right? Uh -huh. And when the light turned green for us to all walk, 
He reached over and grabbed her phone and started like walking away from her. What? Yeah, just reached over, just grabbed it, and started walking away from her. Oh my and god! And then everyone's kind of like, I don't think many people noticed, but I kind of noticed because he was acting kind of strange. And then he took like maybe like five or six steps away from her, and then stopped and like turned around and started coming back to her. Right? Whoa! And he kind of like they talked something in Japanese I couldn't really understand, and then. She kept walking across the street, and he gave her her phone back. That's weird. And but what was really strange is as they were walking across the street, the guy kept saying something to her. I don't know what he was saying, but she would stop every few feet and like bow and apologize. That's weird. Yeah. Man. So she she did this like all across the street, apologize, apologize, and like across the street was actually like a, a convenience store, right? So I thought she was gonna go into the convenience store. She didn't. She stopped at the crosswalk there. He was like ranting and raving. She kept bowing and apologize, and just kind of slowly worked her way over to the convenience store, and then went in the convenience store and waited till he left. That's weird. Yeah. But what, what kind of struck me about it was think about it from her standpoint. She gets her phone back. Right. Wacko doesn't attack her, right. you know, and right. so what? She had to apologize a little bit, but she diffused the situation True. as best as she could. True. Whereas in America, what would happen? She'd probably oh attack God. the guy, <laughs> which she'd freak she'd out. She'd freak out. She'd attack the guy, which could turn bad for her. You know what I mean? Well, the guy and could some go American crazy. Dude would step in, right? And, and punch it could him be like you know a huge yeah. thing ends up on YouTube or whatever. Exactly. That's exactly right. right? <laughs> But the thing is, like, like for the American girl, that little thing of someone taking your phone, some nut job taking your phone, could easily escalate into her getting physically hurt, right? Because right? she attacks the guy, the guy freaks out, attacks her back, it's game over. Right. But I thought, wasn't it interesting? This woman, this Japanese woman, diffused the situation, got her phone back, and with no physical violence to her at all. She yeah. just had to like bow a bunch of times. Well, it's just like the Chikan on the train. It's the same thing. That teenage girl could have screamed and she right. could have freaked out, but she didn't. She just swatted his hand right. away and walked about her business. Right. Yeah. So and it just yeah, it speaks to the culture. You know, it's a small island. People have to get along. Yeah. Having Causing said that, chaos. I mean, yeah, you know, if you right. got some nut job following you home, don't turn around and try to have a conversation with them. Right. <laughs> you know, there are good times to kind of raise a fuss. Right. But it is kind of an interesting look at the culture here and how they deal with this kind of conflict. Totally, totally. I think I think the degree that you raise a fuss should be um, in direct proportion to how close you are to a Koban. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so overall, though, you say you you know you don't feel to you feel fairly safe here in Japan. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel safe in Japan. I mean, especially I live. I live in North Tokyo and it's, it's pretty quiet up here and it's, you know, a lot of old people and, um, yeah, I really like it. Like I know my, I know my little neighborhood shop people and, um, you know, I'm kind of the pet foreigner in the neighborhood, you know, everybody likes me. They, they're nice to me. They, you know, help me with stuff and, um, I feel really, yeah. The only time I get wary is if I go out, like, let's say I go out with friends because I don't drink. So let's say I go out with friends and I'm in Shinjuku or I'm in Koenji or whatever. 
and it's late and they're out partying and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home. Then I get a little wary because I don't know where I'm at right. or I'm not familiar with where I'm at. Right. And it's it's late and it's dark and I'm much I'm in a much more like rowdier area. You know, where I live is a sleepy little town, but, you know, there are parts of Tokyo that are jumping and there are going to be more creepers. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only time I feel a little bit on edge. And I think for anybody listening too, male or female, one thing you're going to have to really remember when you come in Tokyo is, uh, as I kick my desk there, is um, <laughs> keep an eye on the clock because the trains don't run 24 hours here. Yeah. And if you live in the middle of Pancakesville nowhere, yep. you have yep. no options of getting home besides taking a taxi. And that taxi ride could cost you hundreds of dollars. Yeah, it's going to be a couple hundred bucks. So a train ride could be like maybe like $5, but a taxi would be a couple hundred dollars. And you do not want to do that and miss the last train. And the last train is sometimes really early. It's like 1230 or something yeah. like that. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah, all your friends are parting away. And before you realize it, you've missed the last train and you're just kind of screwed. Yeah, exactly. And that happens. I mean, missing last train happens all the time. And a tip for girls, um, if you're out with a guy, whether he's Japanese or foreign, and he's trying to keep you out and not pay attention to time, it's because he wants you to miss last train. So you you have to hang out with him all night. What? So, we never you didn't do know about this? that. This is, dude, this is the like, oldest never tried trick in the that. book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't tell anyone. That's an awesome tactic. That's a terrible tactic. If like around like, 11.30, okay. you start ordering more drinks. So. That's it's like 11.30, and you're like, oh, God, I better check last train. Oh, hey, da-da-da-da-da. And you, like, distract, <laughs> and then... Before you know it, you're like in Shibuya at a love hotel. So be careful. Um, Let's switch to your modeling book. So you came here (laughs) and you didn't know anybody, right? You didn't know any, you didn't have any connections here in the modeling world before you came, right? No, no, I didn't at all, actually. Everything I did here, I really built from the ground up. So. Yeah, I've, I've been pretty lucky here. And what was kind of the first thing that you started to do when you first got here? Well, I started preparing even before I got here. I did, while I was doing all of my OCD research on coming to Japan, um, I was researching agencies. And I was also looking at uh, models and actors, uh, foreign models and actors in Japan um, who had really good Facebook presence, who had really good websites. Um, and you know, I wanted to connect with them and find out who was, who they were represented by. Um, so I did a lot of that. I asked a lot of questions and then I emailed, uh, a few of the foreign agencies about a month before I came over and I sent my portfolio, I sent my website and I said, you know, I'm a foreign model. I've done some acting. This is what I want to do. And I'm coming over. So actually, even before I got to Japan, I had representation. I was already on Japanese websites and they were already putting me out. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so, and, and what that resulted in is it within three weeks of being here, I had landed uh, a skincare campaign. And within, I think, three or four months of being here, I had landed that national IKEA spot. Right. So um, things moved really quickly. Um, but that's also because I kind of hustled. Right. Um, so that, that, and I cover that in the book in terms of how to get your web presence going, how to build a portfolio and how to do it fairly quickly and for little money. It's all covered in the book, but. Was there any major differences between working here and working in the States? Um, you mean actually being on set? 
Yeah, like working as a model. Yeah, I mean, on set, um, it's a real treat, you know. It's it's really nice working with um, the Japanese crew. There's just a little more attention to detail. Um, uh, All of the shoots that I've done, um, everything has been pretty meticulous. Um, The makeup is beautiful. The clothing options are very, very nice. Um, The food, the craft services, everything is just, you feel very well taken care of. Um, I haven't been overworked. Um, That was one concern that I had because when you get a call, when you get a booking in, in California anyway, they'll say, okay, you're making X amount of dollars up to, you know, eight hours or up to 10 hours. And after that, you're going to get paid overtime. The the agencies here don't really stipulate that. They say, here's the rate, here's what you're working. And if it goes over, well, then it's just going to go over. But I've never, I've never had to work overtime here. So it's been pretty much on the up and up um, in terms of the the conditions, the working conditions have been very good. And, um, you know, the pay has been very good considering it's a much smaller market. So, right. right. Is there a lot of work for foreign models here? Um, yeah, there is a ton of work. I mean, it depends on what you want to do. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, so there's a lot of work that I just turned down. Um, I don't do, um, I don't do a lot of background work or extra work for television shows. I mean, you can do a ton of that here. You can just, you could work every day if you wanted to. The money's not great, but what a great way to get in with crews and to network and to get the experience in front of a camera. So if you're a new, if you're new to television, if you're new to modeling and you want to just get some, some great training and stay active, I'd say do all that extra work. And there are agencies here that specialize solely in background work for television shows. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of have like a set of conditions. I don't want to sound like a diva, but, um, you I'll know, go for it. You're a diva. We all I, know. I don't mean to sound I worked with you on the Gaiji Bob videos. Trust me. I'm going to release my hey, own ebook ew. later. The Ouch. Cynthia Bobber behind the scenes. <laughs> Where's my latte? <laughs> Damn you. No, I'm uh, not coming uh, out of my trailer until I get my latte and onigiri, damn it. My agent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, um, no, but I mean, like, there's just certain, like, there's certain companies that I, I'm not comfortable representing, um, if I, you know, and I won't get into that, but if it goes against something you believe in, um, like there's certain companies that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a spokesperson for, I wouldn't want to be in their print campaign. Um, if they're, if it's, you know, a 12 hour day and you're going to make, you know, 10,000 yen. Um, I'm probably not going to do that. You know, that's just a really, really, really low rate. Um, so just certain things that I look at that, that are things that I would pass on. So, I mean, and again, just tying back to the book, it's, you know, I treat my modeling job. It's a business. It's, it's a, it's a business and I have standards and I, I treat the standards according, accordingly. And, and conversely, I bring my my A game every time I go, even if it's a really small job. I have my meishi, I have everything they've asked me to bring, and then some. Um, I'm I always have good nails. I always have had enough sleep. I'm I'm prepared. Right. Um, if there are lines, I know my lines. Um, it's just about being professional and not just rolling up and like, hey, I'm here. What's up? <laughs> Take my picture. You know, it's not. That's just not. That's not how to establish a a great career. Right. Was, was the Was there any language issues on set? Um, 
not really. Um, the bigger spots that I've done, I've always had a translator. I recently did a shampoo commercial and I was the only foreigner um, on uh, on the cast and they had a translator there just for me, which was kind of cool. Um, I, usually my agent is with me when or a booker is with me and they do translation for me. Um, now that I've been here a couple years, I can understand enough to get by on set. And I can also slate in Japanese and answer basic questions in Japanese. So um, I definitely recommend if you're if you're coming over as a foreign model, that's a great way to learn the language is learn the business lingo. Learn right. just what you need to learn. Right. There are a lot of foreign businesses that do that. You and I had interviewed um, Alana Jade uh, about a year ago, and she knows spa English. You know, right, she knows right. how to talk about facials and massages and things like that in perfect formal Japanese. She doesn't speak Japanese though, and so it's kind of the same for me. Like I can I can talk to somebody on set about what they need from me in Japanese. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And then, what do you um, cover in your book? Um, the like, book. So who's the book for? Obviously, someone wants to come here, but it's not only just for modeling in Japan, right? It's no, for... no. It's for modeling anywhere. It's really for getting started and having a professional freelance career as a model or commercial actor. And when I say model, I mean commercial print modeling. I'm not talking about fashion modeling. Um, can can you clarify that for a bit? Because I didn't realize there was any difference until yeah, before I no. met you. But what is the that? What's the difference? Fashion models tend to be quite young. They tend to be very um, young, very tall, and it's a very specific look. Um, They tend to, I mean, early 20s is probably the cap on age uh, for most fashion models. Um, They tend to be over five foot nine. Um, They tend to be very, very thin. Um, and the fashion have, models we see them where covers of magazines, yeah, well, catwalks, yeah, that kind of thing. Usually, you'll see them on the covers of fashion magazines. Right. You'll see them in editorials for designer clothing okay. at uh, Mercedes Benz Fashion Week. They're the girls that are walking the runway. So runway models that are that are um, wearing designer clothes and doing those kind of print jobs. That's fashion modeling. Now, the kind of work I do and and print models like me do is advertising. Um, So we sell food. We sell – sometimes we sell clothing. We sell – sometimes we sell cosmetics. Um, We sell everything else, Um, technology, uh, insurance, uh, daily household products, um, juice, coffee, you know, anything like that – I, let's see, what have I done here? I've done Ikea, I've done skincare, I've done cosmetics, I've done shampoo, um, I've done some medical catalog work. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that jet-setting, glamoury, um, you know, dating actors kind of thing. It's, it's, it's very everyday people modeling. It's a pretty humble job, actually. Um, but it's, it's very, it's very lucrative and there's a lot of it. There's a lot of work. Yeah. I remember when I first started looking at your portfolio, uh, one of the, the, the pictures that kind of stood up for me was you did this print ad for future technology magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the first things I Holding like a microchip or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm holding like a little semiconductor chip. Right. Yeah. So it's those kind of everyday necessity products. I think I see one on your on your website. You did one for Canon where you're holding. I think it's Canon, but you're holding like a memory card. 
exactly. sand disk memory card, right? So exactly. So exactly. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done cereal boxes. I've been on the back of a cereal box. I've done packaging for headphones and remote controls. Um, I've done commercials for eBay and Fairmont and uh, Visa and uh, oh god, so many. I can't. Wells Fargo, Apple. Um, but so, your book isn't targeting these people specifically, is it? Or it is targeting this type of model. My yeah, my book is really for commercial print modeling and for people who want to do acting in commercials. It do, okay. it doesn't do a deep dive into like theater acting or anything like that. It gives you the basics on building characters. It gives you the basics on how to build a print portfolio. So when you do go to go sees for these advertisements, um, you're ready. Um, it's, it's lucrative, plentiful work. And if you hustle, you can make a nice little career out of it. Is, is there an age range for this type of modeling? Um, yes and no. Um, it depends on the person, to be honest. Um, you know, you, you, there's definitely a much bigger age range. Um, and as the population, both in the United States and in Japan, the population as a whole is aging. And women tend to make more of the buying decisions. So, for example, in America, you'll see a Lexus commercial with a high-powered female executive driving now because she's she's an active consumer. She's she's got the money and she's the one that's throwing down. So, the actor that's going to get picked for that is probably going to be a forty-something female. Right. Um, so you don't the, the the areas that you don't really see. Um, a lot are, are senior citizens. Um, but my point being is that your career is not dead once you hit 25. I mean, I really didn't get really heavily into the game until I was in like my late twenties. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can have a really long career, but you have to take care of yourself. Right. You know, if you're, if you have to take care of your skin, you have to take care of your hair, you have to take care of your body, um, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Um, you don't have to be a size four. You don't have to be perfectly ripped or anything like that. But you should have a nice smile. You should have nice hair. You should be in reasonably decent shape. Um, you should look healthy. Um, that's really what they're looking for in most cases. So you want to look relatable, but somewhat aspirational. Right. Yeah. 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 And as you get older, I just moved to Florida, and there's a ton of work down there. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, Palm Springs or Florida, yeah, you're going to be a rock star in those areas. <laughs> you know, once you hit, like, 45, 50, you're like the Pamela Anderson of, like, <laughs> Boca Raton or something. <laughs> um, is your book, uh, the information in your book, is it uh, relevant for both men and women? Yeah, I do. I do include um, a lot of stuff for guys, particularly in dealing with um, choices that you want to make about your personal appearance. Um, one thing that I had heard recently, there was a movie that came to town. I can't really talk about it, but it was a, a Hollywood movie that came to town. And um, they were asking women to, to cut their hair quite short. And they were asking men to shave their beards. But this was for background work. This was for these were for pretty small parts. And it's a big choice to make. Like if you're a guy and you have a beard and it's taken you a long time to grow this gorgeous, beautiful beard and your agent has you kind of profiled as the Western guy with the beard and you shave it off. 
are you going to be out of work for the next six months? Like you really need to think about those decisions. Same if you're a girl, if you have beautiful long hair and you cut it into a short bob for a one day job, you know, are you, are you sure you want to do that? So the, the choices that men have to make with regard to their appearance, also how, dealing with scene partners. Um, you know, there are a lot of times when we work with uh, members of the opposite sex. And so the things that I put up for girls apply to men just as well. And maybe even more so in certain situations. You know, if you're doing a hotel ad and you're in a bathtub with a girl for eight hours, you know, it, it could be it could be weird if you don't know how to handle it right. So I do talk. I do talk about Is how the to, water warm or cold. The water. I was thinking about a particular situation. I had to do it with a total stranger, and the water was super hot, and my makeup kept melting off, and it was just really awkward. And it's this tiny bathtub, and I don't know this guy, and yeah. So um, yeah, it, it's 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 both for men and for women. I mean, right. setting setting boundaries. Um, is really, really important. But unfortunately, for a lot of young girls, if you're a young woman that's like 19, 20 years old, and you're coming to Japan on a student visa, and you want a model, and you're working with a much older photographer who happens to be male, you really need to be confident and strong and, and be willing to put up those boundaries and not get talked into doing shots that you don't want to do. That's right. really, really, really important. Right. Yeah. Because I, I can't imagine there's that many models who have not become successful because they put up boundaries. You know what I mean? Like the photographer always will tell you opposite. If you don't take off your shirt, you're not going to work in this town. Oh, of course. Of course. But I mean, most of the time, I've only had two or three situations early on in my career where I had... I had some funky situations with male photographers. Um, and one in particular, I, I just I just walked out. I just was like, no. Um, but I've been pretty fortunate. Um, I think that really it's, it's a function of knowing your boundaries, knowing what you're willing to do, and really being able to do the work and hustle on a consistent basis. I think hustling on a consistent basis – Anytime you're starting a business is probably the, a, a, a key factor in success. And modeling is really no different. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember one of the posts that you wrote for Gaijin Pot, which I thought was very interesting, was the uh, guy with camera post. Yeah. And how to watch out for a guy with camera. Yeah, man. that's That was the situation I was just thinking about. I, I This was actually back in San Francisco. I, I, I responded, this was really early in my, in my career and I was still kind of trying to figure out my boundaries. I really didn't know like what was cool and what wasn't cool for me. Um, and I went to this go see and it was on a boat. It was on a, like a big boat. And so I'm talking to this guy and he's just, he doesn't look professional. He's kind of messy looking. He's older. Um, just which, okay. Maybe he's like crazy artist type, you know, I don't know. Um, but then he didn't have a business card. He didn't have a website. He didn't have uh, a portfolio of photos to show me. He had some photos online that I had looked at, but I was, I was expecting to see his work. He wanted me, now, and I'm not with anybody, he wanted me to go below deck and take test shots with him. Now, nobody knows where I'm at. 
like, are you crazy? Like, yeah. no, I'm not going to go below deck. And so I told him that point blank. I said, no, that's, I'm totally not comfortable with that at all. I didn't know that this is, you know, that this casting was on a boat. This is really weird. You know? So, um, you just have to be really smart. If you're going to put yourself in an isolated situation where nobody knows where you're at with a guy that you've never met before, that doesn't have a professional business presence, get out. Like, right. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, so. They invite you to the apartment. They whip out their iPhone. You know it's you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's not what you want. You want somebody that's as committed to their, their business as you are to yours. Right. Um, so here in Japan, though, I've got to say, I've worked with some awesome photographers. There are some people that are really just creative and talented. They've invested into their into their craft. They have beautiful equipment. They have beautiful websites. I've been really, really lucky here. I've met some really cool people. So yeah, I mean, the, 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 the creative people are definitely here and, you know, in, in California too, LA, San Francisco for sure as well. But I've been really, really pleased the past couple of years with the people I've worked with here and the work we've turned out. It's just been awesome. Some of my best stuff. Really? Eh? Well, yeah, really yeah, good. for sure. Yeah, like uh, it's kind of funny that on your on your section of your book where you talk about modeling in Japan, one of the cons that you list is getting lost. <laughs> you know, it's not even anything about yeah. modeling, but like... Listen, you're going to get lost here. <laughs> Dude, I mean, and it's true. I mean, you can ask any working model, and particularly I'm thinking about fashion models that work in Europe. If you're a New Yorker, if you're if you're an American fashion model in New York and you get pushed over to London or Paris and you, like you were telling me about Tyra Banks, like you're going to go to a bunch of go-sees for a bunch of different fashion houses you need to know where you're going. You need to know where you're at. Right. Same thing applies to, to print auditions or, or TV auditions here. It's, I mean, know how to work your navigation technology and sometimes it fails you. So what are you going to do? Like you're going to ask people. I mean, I stop in convenience all the time. I stop, I ask a policeman. I ask anybody who is willing to help me how to get to, as long as I get there on time, that's all I care about, you know? So Yeah. Getting lost is a, it's a reality. It's yeah, actually, that's one of the first lessons I kind of learned when I, when I left Canada was that when you, when you need to go somewhere, say in Japan or wherever you're at, double the time that you think it's going to take you. Exactly. So if you look on the, on the map and it says, like, you can take this train to here and get off at this station, it's going to take you 15 minutes. Figure that that's probably going to take you half an hour. Yep. So leave early and plan accordingly because the address system here is so confusing. Um, and I get lost all the time too. And it's not always convenient to ask people. And I find sometimes Japanese people themselves don't even know. Yeah. You know, they're like, uh, yeah, I live here, but I don't know. I just kind of do the same route every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and many addresses, many buildings don't have addresses on them. There's no grid system here. Yeah. So I it can get really confusing when you're trying to get around. It's it's tough. It's really really tough. I totally agree. I think doubling doubling your commute time. Uh, if, if it's an important appointment like a like a casting or an audition, you definitely want to allow for a lot of extra time. And one thing that surprised me here is I was actually surprised a lot of my Japanese friends actually asked directions from the police. Yeah. Because I remember one time I was with this guy. We we're trying to find this government building. And he, and we we're near a police station. Not a coal mine, like the actual police station. Oh, wow. And he's like, yeah, let's go in there and ask him. 
And I remember thinking, like, in Vancouver, you walk up to a police officer and ask him directions. I mean, there's no way he's going to help you. Yeah. You would never go in, into the actual police station to ask for directions. I'm trying to think. If I walked into a police station in San Francisco, yeah, no way. Like, yeah, no way. Yeah. You know what they did? It's so funny. All the police, they're sitting there doing nothing. So, uh-huh. they, like, this old geezer, like, oh, I don't know. And they got on a map and they're all pouring over the map trying to a tell us where map? to go. And I was just like, wow, what is this? That's so funny. <laughs> I think they're so bored. There's no crime here, so they're so bored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something to do. Exactly, exactly. But um, if funny. people want to uh, find your book and download it, where can they do that? It's on Amazon.com right now. Um, you can go to my website. There's a link on my website. Also on my Facebook page, um, there's a direct link uh, to the model startup and um, it goes right there. It's it's three bucks, you know, 300 yen. Um, it covers everything from, you know, getting your pictures done to overcoming anxiety to working in Japan. It talks about, you know, keeping your finances straight. It's just a really it's basic. It's it's based on emails and questions that I get from readers and on the things that I had to learn along the way. So a lot of the mistakes that I made um, are really, really inspired uh, the making of this book. So it's a, it's a nice primer for people getting started. Yeah, and I think three bucks is a, is a steal because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the yeah, amount of information in this book will save you thousands of dollars. It's true. And I not only finances, but in headache medication as well because like we talked about earlier in the show when you first get to japan even if you have a company like ecc that's brought you over here you have landed in an environment that's so completely different than what you're used to back home you need this information to kind of move your life forward it's a good framework yeah it's a good framework to get you started and it's like okay so you've got your you've got your visa you've got your teaching gig good for you now how are you going to get your modeling career off the ground here you've got a three-year visa how are you going to make it happen here's how you make it happen read this book do the steps and everything is it's outlined in a step format and um, there's also a way to contact me if you have any direct questions. I answer questions from people all the time. They email me every day. I have no problem chatting with you or helping you out. So that's not a problem at all. What, what about the myth that kind of Japan only looks for blonde hair, blue eyed people? It's not. It's totally untrue. I mean, they do like they do. Obviously, the look is so unusual and so rare here. Um, uh, the blonde haired, blue eyed, fair skinned person. Um, it, it, it's a beautiful look, no question. And people want that here. Um, but it's, it's every look, it's every look. I mean, I've booked a ton of work here. I know a lot of girls who, um, are half Japanese, um, that are booking work like crazy and they're certainly not blonde hair and blue eyed. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, there's work for just about everybody here. I mean, again, as long as you're, you're polished, you you look good. You don't have to be, look perfect. Right. Um, you you do have to be put together though. So. Right. As long as basically as long as you got your shit together. <laughs> yeah. If you do, if you have your shit together, if you present yourself well, maybe learn a little bit of basic Japanese yeah. um, to get you through a slate. You're gonna you're gonna do it. You know, you're it, it, it's not difficult. It's just there are things you have to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Awesome. Thanks, Cynthia. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and yeah. uh, hopefully, it gave a lot of good information to our users. Yeah, and, yeah, um, no, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I'll make sure I post a link to your book on the show notes of this episode of the G Pod. Awesome. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right, bye. bye. 
Thanks again to Cynthia for coming on the show. If you want to check out more of uh, her stuff, you can do so on her website at CynthiaPopper.com. You can find her book, The Model Startup, on Amazon. It's a Kindle download. It's cost uh, $2.70, which I think is ridiculously cheap. I think she should charge you know, $12 or $22 for this. Because honestly, like, it's really interesting talking with Cynthia and, and seeing how, how she worked. It, it, I never knew much about the modeling industry before, but it really goes to show how much work and, and investment you need to do to make a successful career. Uh, you know, it's easy to think it's all luck and you just stand there and stare at the camera, but there's a seriously large amount of kind of behind-the-scenes business that goes on that you don't ever get to see. And if you don't ever see it, you don't know about it, you don't know what to do. And in this industry, because there's like, you know, there's a thousand other people who could easily take your place, if you don't know what you're doing, opportunities will just go past you like like that, right? So her book is a really great kind of guide to how to get started. And at $2.70, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's cheaper than a, a latte at Starbucks, so... Uh, I'll post a link to uh, her book and her website on the show notes of this episode of the G-Pod. And this is episode number 26. And that's it. That wraps up this episode of the G-Pod. Don't forget, if you want to write for GaijinBot, contact me. I'm looking for language writers and real estate writers. You can email me at blog at gaijinbot.com. You can join our fantastic uh, GaijinBot writing team. Also, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash gaijinpod and Twitter as well at gaijinpod and also um, on Instagram at gaijinpod. And Instagram, we just clicked over a 1,000 followers, which is pretty cool, actually, because I started that last year as well. So uh, if you like seeing photos of Japan, join us on Instagram. And that's about it. That wraps up this episode of G-Pod. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Anthony Joe, and talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>